Let's ask God's blessing on the time in the Word. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for this Easter and for the church you have made out of sinners. We'd ask that you would help us understand your good gifts to us. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, just to a little logistics before we go further. Midway through the sermon, your wife's going to look at you and say, does Evan know he spilled coffee on his shirt? It'll, it'll finally register with you. There's a stain right here. And this is to stop that from happening so that the wife will not say, I've got to point this out to my husband because he needs to share in the crisis. I know it's there. You know it's there. You can now pay attention to the word of God. We're in John 11, the Gospel of Saint. It's the, you know, it's Easter, and you say that this is the natural time to look at the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord, which in John 11 isn't quite there yet. It's right up against it. John 11, back in John 10, um, it lets you know that it was the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication uh, is Hanukkah. The, uh, the holiday that was created by the defeat of the Greeks during the Maccabean Revolt in 164 BC. And uh, we get Hanukkah from it. They, at this point, they call it the Feast of Dedication because it involved rededicating the temple after sacrilege had been committed by Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And that's in December, as you know. You, you wear that Hanukkah comes floating around right around Christmas. And it said it was about the Feast of Dedication, and then Christ's death is at Passover. And so you're dealing with the months in this John 11 between Christmas time and Easter. All right? That's what John 11's in. Now, in John 11 is the story of the raising of Lazarus. That's what we're in in John 11. The friend of Jesus Christ, Lazarus, has died and is raised from the dead. And that happens right before the triumphal entry to the point where after it happens the Jews are not just trying to kill Jesus they're trying to kill Lazarus too that's in John 12 so that's where we are we're not talking about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection we're talking about Lazarus's death, burial, and resurrection now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness is not unto death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. Sort of an odd thing to say. There's a not only does Lazarus die, he says this illness is not unto death when he knows he's going to die. Matter of fact, he waits. Jesus, verse 5, says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, okay, listen to this explanation. 
It just sounds counterintuitive. I'm saying this illness is not unto death. He loves them a lot, and for that reason, he stayed where he was instead of going to Bethany to heal Lazarus. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He extended his vacation. I heard my friend was ill, and I have the power to heal him. I'm going to stay here a little bit longer. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go into Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are but now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Jesus is never very helpful. You kind of want to, if he's a friend of yours, you kind of just want to hit him or something. For Give me a straight answer, for heaven's sake. Tell me the theology I'm supposed to believe. Give me a catechism to chant back at you. I, just, I asked, I was worried. Uh, and he says something about not 12 hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Thus he spoke, and then he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He hasn't gone anywhere. He knew he was sick. It's so unconnected to what's really going on. We know because we've got hindsight. We've been through the passage before. But when you know what's going on, and then you go through the passage again, you find these remarks strange and um, like he's up to something other than we would be up to if we had the power to heal people. You ever wonder why he has the power to heal people and he's not rushing from hospital to hospital in the Middle East, you know, just zapping everybody? Wouldn't that's what you'd be doing if you woke up one morning and you had the power to heal just from touching people? Wouldn't you say, honey, drive me to the hospital. I'm going to fix some things. The power to raise the dead. You go out to Short's funeral home at the bed at the door. Doink, doink. Save people some money. Go down to buy a casket. Doesn't matter if they've been dead days because you could still do it. You'd be busy. You wouldn't start saying non sequiturs about the daytime and how much light there was. But he's up to something else. He knows what he's about. They're concerned about him getting stoned. He says, if you know, if the lights are on, you know where you're going. If the lights are on, you can plan your way. Jesus if you go back through John or any of the Gospels, you can see how he was pushing the buttons of the Jews the whole time. So that when he finally walks into town, having raised a man from the dead, they are so ticked. They want to stone him beforehand. They are so ticked. They want to kill him all the more. And they want to kill the horse he rode in on. They want to kill Lazarus too, who just died and got raised from the dead. That's sort of mean. 
Okay, I mean, you think about it and say, okay, I just would not, I didn't do the miracle, I got the miracle done to me, I got raised from the dead, and then because of that, somebody wants to kill you? But Jesus has it planned. He knows where he's going. The disciples haven't figured out where he's going. They're willing to go along with. So he tells them, oh, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I go to wake him out of sleep. And they naturally think he had a fever, he was sick. And so the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Because we know when the fever breaks and you, you fall asleep, a rest is the old Bayer commercial. You know, get plenty of rest, lots of fluids, and take Bayer aspirin. Right? Any of you over 40? Remember the ad? Jesus is about a particular business. His illness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. That was back in verse 4. It is to glorify Jesus Christ. And he is pacing himself not only to his death, but to Lazarus's death, because he knows he's sick. He knows he would be expected to heal him if he showed up before he died. So he waits for him to die. He stays out of town for two more days. Then he says, hey, he's falling asleep. And the disciples said, oh good, huh? I'm so relieved. And then he has to tell him. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm sorry you didn't pick up on that. But we waited here for him to die. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. This is callous. He's not about the death of Lazarus. He's about the glorification of the Son. So that you may believe. Boy, death is a real hard thing because we, you know, we've got a funeral this week and we've had friends and family members close to death, family dying. There's all sorts of things going in our lives. We had a young woman die that Audrey brought up. It's the worst thing that can happen in this world to anybody's mind, including tragically Christians. But there are things greater than your life. There are things more important than your death. To the point where your death would be spoken of and even arranged by Jesus Christ. Be sure that whatever Lazarus was sick of would kill him. And I've got to give it time because it's a bad fever, but it's going to need a few more days. I'm staying out of town. Because what's more important than Lazarus not dying he said, well, he was raised from the dead. Yeah. Hence, it was not a, unto death. It was not really the death of Lazarus. It was the phenomena of death, but it was not the death of Lazarus. People had to go through the mourning, yes, but it was not to the death of Lazarus. This is all so that you might believe. Now, what I want you to be thinking about this morning... You weren't there. You don't get to see the miracle. You don't get to go, oh, wow, look at that. The miracles in the scriptures are not written so that you would go, oh, wow, we got a book full of miracles. 
They are miracles, certainly. But they're about generally something other than the miracle. We're not trying to write. You ever read uh, any kind of medieval miracle accounts or if you read uh, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle or Bede or anything like that, you just get uploaded with a lot of bishops flying over things and, and uh, raising some Viking chieftain from the dead. I don't know. You know stuff happens. And they wrote miracle accounts to thrill you. It was like comic books. Because they thought that the miracles were the important thing. That if you had enough miracles, if you claimed enough almost nonsensical levels of power exertion by powerful agents. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It was in some uh, New Testament pseudepigraphal works that uh, Gunn had picked up a copy uh, Oxford put out. And I was reading it because it was something to do. And, and there was this scene of St. Philip leading a leopard who had just killed a sheep to, to salvation. The leopard, after having killed the sheep, becomes a Christian, starts talking to Philip, takes him to where the carcass of the sheep is. The sheep is raised from the dead. It becomes a Christian. And then the sheep and the leopard travel with Philip in his ministry. Aren't you wowed? I mean, we could claim a few that they did time travel or something like that, and then you go, oh my gosh. These aren't written for you to go, oh my gosh, at. It's about something else. The people there are going to wonder, yes, it's going to be marvelous to them. But you're being told something so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And Thomas is, you know, the guy that doubted Thomas. This is before his doubting. So he's called the twin at this point. And, uh, but he sounds like the same guy, doesn't he? All right, this is our rabbi. However weird he says things, let's go with him and die with him. But Jesus has the lights on. He knew throughout all of this. You've got to keep that in the back of your mind. He knew throughout all of this that he was operating with the lights on and they, Mary, Martha, the disciples, lights are off. They don't know why he's making these movements. This is a great story because you know, Easter and we're dealing with resurrection. We're dealing with things unto death. Resurrection is the answer to death. Right? You're going to be dead. Just saying. Friends are dying. Is your death unto death? Is the illness you have called life unto death? Or is it to glorify the Son of God? You might want to see if you can turn the lights on in life. Look at what's in front of you and go, you know, although I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
Because God is there to comfort you with knowing what's going on. You, you know that this is all for life. You know this is all for eternality. You know this is for redemption from the penalties of sin. You know this is for righteousness sake. And you know that doesn't matter. The storyline is still going to have Lazarus die and you die. And everyone you love die. And yet the lights are on for you. And when the lights are on, we find things that we're looking at, that everybody else is looking at too. I was talking to my brother-in-law, Ararat, Ararat Porosian, who's, who's an Armenian and an Armenian. Down in L.A. His mother just died this last week. And um, if you know any Armenians, it's like knowing Greeks or which they don't like that comparison. But Greeks, Turks, Armenians, anything Middle Eastern. Someone dies, it's professional. They call in the whalers. You know, everybody's in black and everybody's... And you've got to go visit and you've got to... Just, the crushing level of my big fat Greek wedding on the negative side. I shared with them on the phone... This has nothing to do with the sermon. Um, you know, we were talking about the ministry there to them, and I said the passage in Ecclesiastes, about better to go to Mount House of Mourning than the House of Feasting, for the living will lay it to heart. Generally in Anglo-Saxon communities, you know, you got to drag Anglo-Saxons' minds and say, see, that's, look at that. It's not all a party. He says, yeah, that's a big, pretty big verse in Armenian commercial communities. They, they professionally enjoy uh, death and dying is, let's go to the funerals, because that's it. But they had an opportunity, looking at the same death of his mother. His mother was a believer. And Armenians, historically, are Orthodox. Armenian Orthodox, like Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. But, but not Christians. Christians in claim, but not Christians in actuality. And he was praying and operating on the uh, Ararat, because he has a desire to serve the kingdom, that he would have great opportunities to express to his Armenian family members the difference, why he was at peace, why he was rejoicing in sorrow. Because it's not something they understand. We have a life that if we can figure out what it is the lights being on means, that we would walk into our own death like Christ is walking into Jerusalem after this, to his own death. He knows he's going to walk through the triumphal entry. He arranges for that. But he knows everybody else is thrilled. Oh gosh, we're now winning. Look, Jesus is triumphantly entering Jerusalem and the kids and the palm fronds and Palm Sunday and oh my goodness. Yay for the Christians. And hold it, what are they doing killing him? Jesus knew they were going to kill him after that. It's part of the plan. Part of the lights being on. Are you walking towards your own death with the lights on? Are you walking towards your own death with the glorification of the Son of God? That God may be glorified. That your death, your living, really is not part of it, but 
that God may be glorified, that you may believe. Now when Jesus came, verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary sat in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think he knew that. Hence, delay. That he doesn't turn to her and go, yeah, I knew that, so I stayed away for two more days. Martha may have a hard time processing because the lights aren't on for Martha. She's a good believer. She loves Jesus Christ. She and Jesus get along great. It's a close family, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Jesus. They hang together. But they don't understand. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, and this sounds like a platitude, your brother will rise again. And Martha knows that. So Mark, verse 24, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Good, good theology answer. Thanks, Martha. Sunday school has paid some dividends. You knew what to say. Is that your relationship with this bit of resurrection? Is that your relationship? That you know that you're supposed to believe in the resurrection? Okay, I know that I will see my dearly departed loved one again because of the resurrection and I believe in the resurrection of the just. In verse 25, Jesus says to her, this is not, this is called the lights or the light switch. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Talk about something that lands on you with a hobnail set of boots in the middle of a grieving. Can't he just leave you alone? You're trying to grieve for your brother. There's some politenesses to be observed, and Jesus does not observe them. But he's been telling you, I'm doing this because the lights are on for Jesus. I am doing this that you would believe that God would be glorified because, you know, frankly, Lazarus in the ground four days is not the big issue here. He wants her to recognize. Look how many times he repeats the word believe. Three times. He who believes in me, verse 26, and believes in me, and then in this 26, do you believe this? Do you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Not, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? All the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. Yay for you. You got good theology about the nature of the afterlife. The Sadducees didn't believe. The Pharisees did. So you're just as good as the Pharisees. Good for you. You're just as good as every Christian who claimed Christendom down through 2,000 years because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to it. 
This morning, the light is something else. It is not your belief in the resurrection. Do you believe in me, he says. He who believes in me, not if you believe in the resurrection, not do you believe in the life. I know people who think they're saved because they believe that Christianity saves you. Not because they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in Christianity. Faith in Christianity doesn't save you. Faith in the orthodox doctrines of Christianity doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus Christ saves you. This is someone. This is not a collection of propositional claims. Martha is able to move on a little bit. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She says, yes, but she backs away from it. It's not, yes, I believe you are the resurrection and the life. I believe you are the Christ. That is a huge messianic thought that Jews had coming for them. I believe that you are the Christ. Peter says the same thing in his great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. It was, a, it was a thing that they had come to grips with with Jesus, but they didn't know what that meant in Jesus. She almost like you walking out this morning less interested in believing in the resurrection we like it sunny, sunny Easter morning, sunlight streaming through. It just says a resurrection. It says life, green grass, and the lilacs coming out, and the buds on the trees, and eggs everywhere, you know, for fertility and bunnies. We, and we as Christians go, no, it's about the resurrection. You know, I, I don't mind that you fight for the faith that way, but great. It's him, though. He was glorified. Resurrection wasn't glorified. Resurrection happened. He was glorified. Does he hold that position in your mind? When she had said this, verse 28, she went and called her sister Mary, saying quietly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus was not yet come had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Because they're like Armenians, they're professionals. Then Mary, when she came to where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds like her sister. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verbatim. Sometimes, as you stand in the light of the deity of Jesus Christ and his glorification, you're going to see the world like many people. Most people don't see it. You're going to see it in many ways like other believers don't see it. People that are on the same team and plan and hopes as you, but when they're facing something like this, they cannot. Have you ever felt that, that sort of position where you had a you knew something was really true, but you said, I better not say anything. I better not tell them what's true. I better not 
Mary's busted up about this, fell at his feet. When Jesus saw her weeping, Jesus said, this is not the death. Back at the first, first paragraph. This is for the glorification of the Son. I'm waiting out here a couple more days. Then we're going to go. Yeah, I know he died. If I am glad I didn't go earlier because I would have had to fail, heal him. I wouldn't have understood me not healing him. So I'm just going to show up late with him dead. He sees her weeping. And the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit. And troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come see. Jesus wept. Small reports, the shortest verse in the Bible. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Keep him from dying. Lord, if you had been here, you would have healed my brother. Lord, if you would have been here, you would have healed my brother. Couldn't he have shown up earlier? Jesus, with the lights on, plans not to show up till he's dead. What's he doing weeping? He's looking at Mary weeping. He's looking at the Jews weeping. He knows in like less than ten minutes. He hasn't even had to live with the problem of Lazarus not being in the world yet. He hasn't even gotten into town yet. Last he saw Lazarus, Lazarus was well. He knows the next time he sees Lazarus, Lazarus will be well. Because in ten minutes, he's raising him from the dead. That's why I'm doing this, says Jesus. What's he doing? Weeping. I'd say the trouble with death is the trouble we make of it. People are troubled by death. Every fear possible is tried to be adjusted. If only we do everything. My wife can't stand it when some horrific accident, ferry sinking in Korea, landslide in Washington, bad things happening, many dying, and some born fool stands up and says, we're going to make sure this never happens again. What kind of idiot has gone through 6,000 years of human history with every one of us dying, every single one of us, saying something as conceited as that? We're going to make sure that we will never be hurt by anything ever again. People make the trouble out of death, the, tr the death trouble is, or the trouble death is. Christ is troubled and moved in spirit when he sees them weeping. Now you could say, uh, you know, with some legitimacy, that Jesus Christ, being fully human, not just divine, fully human, was mourning for the current phenomenal mourning that was going on there, but frankly, I'd be a little jumpy and giddy because I would be knowing I was going to heal this, raise the, you know, he's going to raise him from the dead in the next paragraph. I'd be jazzed. It'd be like, watch this. 
I'll put a little spin on it if you'd like. Because you know you can do it. Jesus is, Jesus is looking at a different trouble than the trouble they're dealing with. Then Jesus, deeply moved again. Jesus has the lights on. Nobody else does. Jesus knows what's coming. Nobody else does. Jesus arranged for this little trip to happen just like it did happen. He was not surprised. He's not dealing with loss. It is not that problem. His trouble, how moved he was, is about something else. Maybe if the lights come on for you, the realization that he is the resurrection and the life, and that if you believe in him, though you die, you shall live. Got that? And if you live, you shall never die. Do you believe this? Those are the lights. Who is he to you? What are we dealing with here in Christianity? What kind of cavalier notions can you start having about death? The death that troubles people the way it troubles people. Not saying you won't be troubled because Jesus was. He was moved. He was troubled. And he wept. About what? You see the same thing when he crosses the Mount of Olives coming down to Jerusalem and he looks upon Jerusalem and he wept and he said Jerusalem, Jerusalem how I have longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers its chicks under its wing and you would not. Jesus is troubled when people don't see the light. People don't believe the light. Here are people dear to him who don't believe the light. He asked Martha, do you believe? She gets that little evasive, adjustable answer of, yeah, I believe you're the Christ. Take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days in the Middle East. They're all looking at him going, oh, see, he really cared. See, he's crying. Oh, now he wants the tomb opened. Oh, it's a little excessive mourning now. Don't you realize, we mourners who are pros, we cry a lot, yes, but we don't open the tomb because we're practical. We know he stinks. His body has rotted by now, so we're not going to go in there and embrace the dead man. Thank you. But they believe in darkness. They're walking about stumbling. They don't see that the resurrection and the life is standing at the tomb of the dead man saying, I'd like to go in and see him now, please. And if you knew the resurrection and the life was standing at the door of your hospital room or at Short's funeral home's door, would you let him in? Or would you start making excuses why his intensity, his viewpoint, not quite, doesn't quite fit. You're in the dark, he's in the light, I'd let him in. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you, paragraph and a half earlier, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? 
we, we're not, you know, confused lower middle class Jews in the first century who don't actually have Bibles ourselves. We're stumbling around in our hopes for the Messiah, getting it wrong. Understandably, they got it wrong. We are Christians who have for 2,000 years had the Bible in our language. Any language you might want. We're busy putting it into people's languages in the Amazonian jungle. There's 25 people that speak a different dialect of whatever. And they go, well, we're going to translate the Gospel of John into that. Because that's what we do. And we've got it. Jesus walking through John 11 and saying, Hey, hey, didn't I tell you that I was going to be glorified? And that God was going to be glorified? Didn't I tell you? How can the lights not be on for us? We can concentrate on everything about religion. I listened to the news this morning. And they were telling me on the news, because they know a lot, that Easter was the most important day in Christianity. And I was going, you complete idiots. There are no important days in Christianity. Easter is an invention of a culture. It's, there's nothing in Christianity that says you should celebrate Easter, or Christmas, or anything of the kind. Those are all just niceties. I'm glad we have them. We get jelly beans. Once a year. And malted milk eggs. It's not part of Christianity. You know, look through the New Testament for the instructions on Easter observance. And you won't get any. Everything but the light. We're busy making a religion. We're busy making all sorts of darkness for people to live in. And not the life. So they took away the stone. Did I not tell you if you would believe? I want to ask you, you to ask yourself, do you believe your theology or do you believe in Christ? Do you believe your theology or do you believe Christ? Believing in and believing Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. It's not like he had this planned. I knew that thou hearest me always. But I have said this on account of the people standing by, that they may believe that thou didst send me. Not only is he wanting them to come to belief, he's actually going, okay, Lord, Father, we're going to verbally declare in a loud prayer and actually admit it in the prayer that I'm saying this so the slow, the functionally retarded amongst them can understand that you sent me and maybe I'm important or ought to be. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out the dead man came out. Now you knew that. And I'm not, it's the wording, his hands and feet bound with bandages and his faith wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. <laughs> it's a sort of a, aren't we supposed to stage this up with a few more like flash cannons that go off like, 
when awful bands, you know, the most abysmal band, and it's not the worst band, but the most abysmal band in, in rock history, Rush, um, is, uh, you know, on stage, the flash pot's going off, and, and smoke on the stage, and beams of light doing this, and, and Jesus going, behold, Lazarus. And he's unwrapping. If Monty Python did the same, Lazarus would come out and trip and fall on his face because he was... Is this blasphemy? It's Easter, a high holy day. He's mentioned Rush in a disparaging fashion. Monty Python. But again, it's not the day, and it's not Easter, named for a Germanic fertility goddess. It's uh, Jesus Christ. It's not Lazarus. Lazarus' death was planned. It's almost as if the deity of Jesus Christ took out a hit on Lazarus. He's sick. He waited for him to die so that he would be glorified. Because that light that comes into the world that's what John starts the gospel to talk about. He was the light, and the light was the life of men. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Neener, neener. It gets worse after that. Things start to fall apart. Jesus gets killed. I don't know if you're familiar with that part of the story. Jesus raised Lazarus to prove that he was the resurrection and the life. So he could declare that he was the resurrection and the life. Then he raises himself from the dead in a matter of a week to prove that he has the authority. And this is not so that there's a pattern of resurrections. Said, so, oh my goodness, you know... We're about resurrection, new life, and springtime, and everything else. We're not about resurrections. We're about him. This is not to get you to believe in the resurrection of the dead. You must believe in the resurrection of the dead because Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the life. That's why you must believe in it, because he matters to you. Because in the world of religion, the divine is the matter. The ritual's not the matter. The ethics are not the matter. And if you get caught up in the ritual, the traditions, or the ethics, you will have misplaced Christianity because Jesus Christ is the matter. And you become good because he is the matter. And you believe in the resurrection because he is the matter. And because you believe in him. And he forgives you because you believe in him. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for him. The work he did with Lazarus and with himself in death, that we may look to him that he would do the same for us in death. That the light, the life, the way, the truth, the resurrection, We'd be looking at your son and praising his name for who he is.
In his name we pray. Amen.